We've been going through a Christmas series. We called it Christmas, a story of love and war. Um, and, and we've really been working through the meta narrative of the Bible, uh, starting in Genesis. And last week, if you were here on past Sunday, we were in the book of Isaiah. And, um, and tonight we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. We're going to be working from verse 1 the whole way to verse 20. And if you're like, oh my goodness, how long is this going to take? Hang in there. We're going to go pretty quick because we're just going to work through the narrative. We're going to have to le- let the Word of God speak, right? Um, and not give a whole lot of filler. Just enjoy the Word together. And, uh, but we're going to keep going this Sunday. And we're going to end in the book of Revelation. Because I, want, I really want our church to have a, a real picture of, of the saving work of God um, from the beginning and to what it's going to look like at some level to what we can tell in the end. And, and here's what we do know. Jesus is going to return, right? We're going to talk about the fact that he came once, but he's going to come in a completely different way when he returns. He's going to come and he's going to gather his church, his bride, those who are trusting and loving and worshiping him forever. And he's going to write all the things that are wrong, right? So that's what we're looking forward to. But tonight, we're going to go back about 2,000 years, right? So if you're able to like get your mind in that mode at that time, that would be very helpful because this happened in real history, as you're going to see, okay? So with all that being said, a little bit of an introduction. Uh, Isaiah was in about 700 years before Jesus came and, and put on flesh. But for 400 years before that moment, guess what there was? Silence. Silence. Yeah, I was going to be quiet for like the next 20 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? And you go, tell us! Right? But, but there was silence. Now, could you imagine? Could you, could you imagine? For 400 years, God had not spoke through his prophets. God's people were longing. They were waiting. They knew of all the promises that Emmanuel, God with us, was to come. There was a king that was promised that was going to come and right all the things that were wrong. And no doubt, they were waiting for an earthly king that was better than King David. This king was the king that God had promised. But here's the thing. For 400 years, nothing And it was a dark 400 years, I want you to know, because Rome had steadily increased in power. And and they were a, oh man, they were a dominating force, but they were a rough people, right? So for two to three hundred years, the Jewish people were under severe persecution. The pressure was tight, and they were all fervently, no doubt, praying, waiting, longing for the coming Messiah. And yet, silence. Silence. They were, want, they were wanting the king to bring freedom. They were wanting the king to bring justice. They were wanting the king to bring what we've been talking about, which is ultimately shalom, which is what every human wants, wholeness, peace, everything to just be right. And that's what they wanted. And that's where we step into our text for this evening. So Luke 2, we're going to be 1 through 20, but we're just going to take it in chunks. So follow along if you'd like as I read. It says, In those days... A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration of Cornelius, the governor of Syria. Now, now by the way, in those days, there's a particular day, there's a particular time stamp. This is the first uh, registration. That means there's probably more. And, And what do they want? Rome wants people to be registered so they can make sure that they're getting their money. They can make sure that they're getting their taxes. Sounds like government, right? And and by the way, this fulfills so many different prophecies that God had, had said would happen. But what we notice here is this is, a, this is a real story. It's not a fairy tale. 
It's, it's not a myth. You can locate this in time and space. This is real history that we see. And it says, And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now, listen, that's about a four-day journey for them. Now, now, ladies, if you, any who's ever had children, you're getting close to the moment and you got to make a four-day journey thanks to the governor's request and decree. You pretty excited about that? By the way, you, you got no like snazzy heated seats or anything like that. No airplane. You, you probably have what? Donkey, maybe a carriage. We always picture Mary sitting sideways on a donkey, but we, we don't know that that's actually true. But we do know this. This was a rough journey. This is a rough journey. And yet, God, in the midst of the silence, in the midst of the suffering, was sovereignly orchestrating everything that he had promised to come to pass. He's perfectly in control. How are we, we, we going to get them to Bethlehem? He's never wandering that. He's got it. He's working through kings, through governors, through the government to make sure that his promise comes to pass. And that's what we see. By the way, it should bring you so much comfort that God is perfectly in charge at all times. There's never a time he's anxiously wringing his hands, right? You and I, I anxiously wring my hands at times. Anybody in here do that ever? Yeah, right? My, my, the pulse, the, the pace of my heart starts to go. I get a little sweaty, right? I, I, I start to get anxious in that moment. And what I need to remember is in that moment, God is sovereign and he's good. He's in control of all things at all times. And therefore, I, by, by God's grace, can have peace. Why? Because he's in charge. Not Caesar, not the governor, not any other human demon or devil can stop his beautiful plan of redemption. God will do it. So does that bring you comfort? Because that same God who was orchestrating that moment at that time right now is in charge. And you might think, well, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't feel like that. It didn't feel like that for them. And, but know this, that God uses our steps and, and really even our missteps to get us exactly where he wants us to be. Why? Because God does the impossible to show us that he's God. That he's God, that he's got this, that he's everything. He hung every star in the sky. To get them to Bethlehem is not a hard thing. So he does that. And it continues. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. All right. Listen, there can be a mistake that can be made during this time of year um, in preaching and in teaching because of, of really, we allow culture and we allow artistic expression to be shoved into the Bible. And we start to paint this picture that, you know, they showed up, right, at the hotel, motel, holiday, and say what, right? And, and they knock on the door. Some little troll that looks like he's on Harry Potter answers and they just said, no, 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 there's no room for you, Mary. No room for you, Joseph. You got to roll. So they bounce. And where do they go? They go to look around and they find a barn or a cave, right? Maybe that's how it's portrayed. And they land there and that's where baby Jesus is born. And like, and, and the, the farm animals are all smiling, right? It's a pretty magical moment. You've seen the pictures, 
Now, now by the way, listen, I'm not, I am poking fun at that because here's the deal. I think that the story of the Bible is much more compelling. It's much more beautiful. And, and the story of the Bible is, is to be, man, it's to be studied so that our love for the Lord increases, right? And so why that happens is because that word in at the end of that sentence is generally mistranslated, right? We, we see the word in and we think of a hotel or something like that. But in the Greek, the word is actually kataluma. And you're like, well, what does that mean? Well, here's the deal. It's only in two times in the book of Luke that we see this word. And the other time we see it is in the upper room for the supper, the last supper. Now, why does that matter? Well, because if we translate the word kataluma there to mean upper room, why would we not translate it to mean the same thing here? And, and here's the deal. Kataluma does mean upper room. So more than likely, a little bit of speculation, but I think it's actually very accurate to assume that that Joseph had family. That's why he was gone to the city of David. He was gone to Bethlehem to be registered where his family lived. They show up, and guess what? There's a lot of other people there. Why? Because they've got to be registered. And the guest room, the Cataluma, the inn, is taken. And who's there? Probably the most beautiful grandma, right? She gets the upper room. And now where does Mary and Joseph get to go? Well, they get the first floor, and guess what else is there? Animals. Why? Because in that day and in that time, on the first floor would be where the family would generally sleep. And then you'd have a little step down and you would bring some of the farm animals in for the night. Why? So that wolves didn't get them and so that they didn't run. And also because it sometimes would get cold and that would help keep heat in the house and you could watch over them. Why does this matter? Because this is the picture that, that God was born essentially into a family in a moment. I mean, just picture it. It's much more beautiful than, hey, we got no room for you in the inn. But what we see is it's a lowly circumstance of Jesus' birth, not what we would expect of the King of Kings to show up, right? right? The point's clear, though, that salvation must come in a way that only God can accomplish. That's it. So that we will know that God has done it, therefore he receives all the glory, Right? And so that's what we see from that first section, but it continues. The story goes on. So listen, if you could, just imagine if you had to write this story, if you had to do a Netflix play, like put your sandals on, go back in time and imagine it right now. So baby Jesus is born somewhere else in the region, and the story continues. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in a field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, now here's the deal. Um, how many of you know shepherds? Yeah, so this needs a little work too, right? I, I didn't think anyone's like, yeah, I know Joe down at Greensburg. You know, no, we generally don't know shepherds. But when we think of shepherds, we just think of these just nice guys, and right? They're very gentle. But actually, shepherds in that time were nasty criminals. Why? Because they couldn't get jobs elsewhere. But you'll hire a couple guys to sit out in a field because they're not going to cause too much trouble out there. These people were they were deprived of, of a lot of civil rights, actually. You can read in the Mishnah and different things. As a matter of fact, if you were to find one laying in a ditch, they would say you didn't have to actually help them out. You could just let them to die. Well, that's not very kind. right? Like These are just some nasty criminals. What does that look like in our time? I don't know. It'd probably be unkind of me to even try to guess. But I do have a couple friends in the oil field, and they would say like this right? I'm serious. They say, I'm not saying that. So if you're in the oil field, God bless you. But they would say, man, generally we hire some guys that can't get jobs elsewhere. 
because they're, they're going to work hard, but they can sometimes get into some particular situations. So we bring them out into the oil field. And that's a hard industry, so I've heard. And so what happens is generally they'll be on painkillers, they'll wash down with whiskey, but there's some rough neck dudes. That's the shepherds. Well, why, why does that matter? Because God willingly chose to deliver news to these guys. I mean, I love it. I love it. This is who God shepherds. He chooses to deliver the news to shepherds, not priests, right? Not, not other rulers, not scribes, not Pharisees, but shepherds, criminals, the lowly, right? And, and so what, what else do we see? Well, the story continues, and an angel, right? Now, now by the way, angel in the Bible is not a chubby little cherub. Okay, why, why does this matter? And it's not a scandalous lady with wings. No, what we see is it's a heavenly messenger. It comes to bring news. And, if, and listen, it says, of the Lord and appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Why were they filled with great fear is a question I have. Why? Well, because when angels would show up, generally they brought judgment. And so imagine, you're a shepherd, you know you're a criminal, and you have an angel that's showing up right now. What do you think? Judgment has come. We're in a heap of trouble. But that's not exactly what happens. No, right here it says, the glory of the Lord shone around him. And what does the angel say? Fear not. Well, that's good news. That's, that's what we need to hear in the midst of our trouble, in the midst of our rebellion. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. Who here wants good news of great joy? Yeah, I, I do. I definitely want good news of great joy. And, and he says for all people. So this news goes out to all. What is the news? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. <laughs> we need a Savior. We need rescue. We need. And who is it? It's Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths or clothes and lying in a manger. By the way, a manger is a food trough. That's what it is. That's what a manger is. It's, it's, it's what animals would eat out of, okay? We always think barn, but it's not. So they lay baby Jesus in this manger. And so what's the miracle? That is the miracle. It says this will be the sign. It's not that six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus is going to have light emanating from his face with spikes. That's not it. It's just a basic baby in amazing ways being born, laid in a, in a food trough. Well, why, would, why would God design it this way? To show once again, he's going to do this in a way that no one else expects. He's going to do this in a way you and I would never script this. This is why you know the Bible is so true. God puts on flesh and comes in the most humble of ways as a baby. I need you to help me. Okay? Thank you. A baby. The King of kings. The Lord of lords. Jesus, the promise head crusher, comes as a child, as a baby. Picture it. And, and, and seriously, picture this moment, right? And, and so what happens? It continues. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth among and peace among those with whom he is well pleased. 
Notice, the spiritual darkness is starting to get pushed back. Starting to get pushed back. Darkness had covered the earth ever since the fall. And right now, light is shining in the darkness. Right? The way of pardoning, the way of peace with God was about to be thrown open to all mankind. This good news goes out to all. God is making a way. The head of Satan was about to take a severe strike in this moment and be bruised. Liberty was about to be proclaimed to all the captives, and those would be cover sight to the blind. He was going to heal. We think of all the amazing things that Jesus did during his earthly ministry, and right now, that's happening. Silence for 400 years, but now Christ has shown up. The incarnation of Christ, by the way, incarnation just means incarnate. Incarnate means meat, God put on flesh. Right? That's what's what it means. Okay? It's a glorious reminder that God, his willingness to, to clean up our mess is much greater than even our ability to create a mess. He's just promised to do it. And here we see he's doing it. He's begun the process of reversing the curse and, and recreating all things. That's yet to come in his second advent, right? And so, do you know the beloved Christmas hymn, Joy to the World? There's a phrase in it. I love it. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. <laughs> Who wants that? I want that. This is the beginning of that. This is where he breaks in the light. The good news of the gospel is that the blessing of redemption will flow as far as the curse is found. We're going to go into much deeper uh, conversation about that this Sunday and the upcoming Sunday when we wrap up this series. So hang in for that. But notice, the good news is for all. You see that? Good news to all people. But that, that alone doesn't bring peace with God. Did you see that? with whom he's well pleased. Do you notice the, the language? Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Question has to come to your mind right now. Who's that? Who is it that he is pleased with, right? Like, if you would have polled me, um, so the Lord saved me at 23. I'm now 46. So I've been born again and alive about as long as I was dead in sin and physically alive, which is pretty cool. Next year, I'm going to break through that threshold if I continue to live. If I don't, hey, glory. But here, here's the deal. If you were to ask Scott before he got saved, who is the Lord pleased with? I'm thinking suit. I'm thinking tie. I'm thinking big Bible. I'm thinking someone who says, yes, sir, no, ma'am, all the things. That's what I think about when I think about who God is pleased with. But, but I want you to know the Man, it's such good news to know that's not, that's not the case. You could be all those things and the Lord be pleased with you. You could do all those things and he may not be pleased with you at all because none of those things are what brings him pleasure. Well, then what does bring him pleasure? How do a sinful people be pleasing to a holy God? Good question. He's pleased with those who have faith. Faith. Hebrews eleven six says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. What is faith? It's trust. It's trust in God. It's trust in the Lord Jesus Christ that his perfect life, as Pastor Kevin was praying earlier, is sufficient in our place. That his death that he died is the death that I deserve to die because of my sin. And that because he had no sin, he triumphantly resurrected from the grave, defeating Satan's sin and death. And that shows 
that his life was sufficient. Therefore, I can receive a real forgiveness of my sins because they were placed on Jesus. And I can receive a real righteousness instead of my sinful life. And therefore, by faith, I can be justified, pleasing to a holy, righteous God. This is why Christ has come. Those who trust in Jesus' perfect life, his substitutionary death, meaning in our place, his victorious resurrection, not perfect people trying to trust in themselves, trying to trust in their church attendance or their suit or any of these things. That's not the people he's pleased with, but it's people who, who we have an imperfect faith, but it's in a perfect Savior. That's who he's pleased with. So if you're thinking, man, I, I, I don't do all those things right, join the club. Neither did the shepherds. But yet God shows up and he says, I got good news. What is the news? I'm going to do it all. Trust me. And that's what he does. My question is, have you received this gift of grace by faith? It is a gift. What do you do with gifts? You're, you've got to figure this out because you're probably going to get some. Maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow. Um, here, here's a tip. When you get a gift, right, smile and tell them you love it. Because what, when you give a gift, that's what you want. You want the person to enjoy the gift. But, but I got to tell you, if we could be honest, that's not always the case, right? Can I get an amen at least on that? Yeah, okay, so, so here's the deal. I... I would always go to Grandma Scott's, right? Uh, and that was, you know, Grandma Rising and Grandma Scott. We would go to Grandma Scott's on Christmas Eve. And every year that we were there, um, she would always give us a gift. And she, she was, I'm going to say it, both of them with the Lord, she was my least favorite of my grandmas. I love Grandma Rising. But Grandma Scott, you know, she would give us the gift. But here was the thing. Every year I got the same thing. I could always just guarantee it. It was, it was going to be the same thing. And it was a velour jumpsuit that's the response it requires I paused to make sure you could get your laughs out I not a velour jumpsuit that is the strangest thing to give a grandchild and a remote control car but it wasn't actually a remote control car because it had a cord attached to it and and it went straight but when you would hit the other the reverse button it would always reverse in one direction with a turn so that you could then go this way and so I knew I was getting it. My mom would like kind of scold me, make sure, you know, when Grandma Scott gives you the thing, you always just like super excited and happy. Uh, okay, so here we are. It's Christmas. Ah, I wonder what I'm going to get this year. Yep, a velour jumpsuit and a remote control car. So there we are. And I was with my cousin, Wes. He was the only cousin around the same age as me. He got the same thing, generally not matching colors. Thank you, Lord Jesus, but very similar. And so what we would do, our parents would look at us and say, listen, Go and put on the velour jumpsuit. Because this is more about grandma than it was about us. So we would go and I would stuff my sausage self into the velour jumpsuit. Because I've always been chubby. I was born chubby. I've maintained that weight. I'm guessing until the Lord returns, that's what I'm going to be. And so it's hot. It's really hot because grandma was always cold. And there we are. And we were sent down to the basement so the adults could actually enjoy Christmas Eve. And there we are playing with our remote control car. And we're following behind and we're doing the thing. And I'm sweating like a pig at the butcher's in my velour jumpsuit. Merry Christmas. I would always smile. I would always say thank you. I would tell her it was my favorite. 
I would give her a hug. I'd give her a kiss. We'd go home. I'd throw it in the closet, and I would never play with it again. And here's the thing. I'm concerned that some of you may have received Christ like that. Yep. Baby Jesus, lying in a manger, whoop-de-doo. I'll go on Christmas Eve, maybe pay him some dues at Easter, chuck him in the closet till next year. But I want, I want you to know it's, it's not saving faith. It's not saving faith. We live in an area that still is steeped in cultural Christianity. I mean, I'm reminded of it often. We were in Pittsburgh uh, with my daughter, and she was doing some ice skating, and they got the beautiful Christmas tree, and I love all the things. And what was amazing, they were singing these Christmas songs. This past Sunday, Ryan and I were on Pittsburgh Street, and they were doing the, the what's it called? Holiday yeah, Holiday Market. And they were singing some high, exalting, Christ-exalting hymns. And I was just stunned as people would sing them. And, and I was wondering, I was like, do they even understand the words that they're singing? They're proclaiming the greatness of our God. And, and they're, they're not even aware, my guess, the majority of them, of the stunning reality that Christ came some 2,000 years ago to a podunk town to live a life that you and I could never live, to die a death that we deserve to die, to rise and give us real life with God. And, and it just, it hits me that there's so many people, and I don't say this to your shame. I really don't. My, my prayer all day is that if that's you, that, that, that the Holy Spirit would just shake you out of that stupor, that, that just haze, that He would become a stunning reality to you right now in this place tonight. And that you would see him with the eyes of your heart and that you would love him, that you would adore him. And I want you to know that's not something you or I can do. I went to church with my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, for a year, not giving a rip about Jesus, but only trying to get a date with this girl. And he saved me. I wasn't looking to be saved. But I heard the gospel message and he opened my eyes. To understand the reality that I was living in, which was, here was my reality. Scott Rising, you're not a good guy, and you're under the wrath of God, but I've sent my son to receive the wrath in your place. Will you trust me? Oh, I believed. I believed, and he did that, and I trusted in him. That's faith, and I didn't go home and shove him in a box or put him in the closet or, or kind of fake receive him. There was no faking this. This was something God had done in my heart. And I've never been the same since. And the Bible explains that. It's called being born again. It's having new life. It's being a new creation. And so, what is saving faith then? It's, it's treasuring. It's loving. It's adoring Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us. That's what it is. It's imperfect, no doubt. We waver. We get anxious. We wonder, is this thing true? But here's the deal. If you have trusted in him, I want you to know you have perfect peace with him. You have perfect peace. You don't have perfect faith, but you do have perfect peace. He is, now listen, perfectly pleased with you.
right now if you're trusting in Christ as your Savior? Uh, I don't know. He could be a little disappointed. No, he's not a little disappointed with you. Yeah, but you don't know about how I reacted today. I could probably guess. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. I could guess. You blew it. You said some things you maybe shouldn't have said in the heat of the moment with the stress and all the cooking and all the shopping and all the wrapping and all the things. <gasps> Anxiety goes up. Sometimes anger comes out. But I want you to know, even in your blowing it, listen, he's perfectly pleased with you. He loves you. He sees you. He adores you. He, he enjoys you. He delights over you. The Bible says he sings over you. He is smiling down upon you right now. I oh, can't be true, but that's what the Bible says. So who am I going to believe? Am I going to believe you? Or am I going to believe the Word of God? I'm going to believe the Word of God. And so I'm going to believe that right now, because of trusting in Christ, I have perfect peace with God. I have shalom. Even as the world around me is still broken, and even though my, my emotions are still broken, you know what never breaks? The perfect peace I have with God because of Jesus Christ. So thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That's why we celebrate. That's why we worship. That's why we come and to enjoy. Well, well, listen, let's see how, let's see how the shepherds respond, right? Because I want you to know the message I just preached to you requires a response. The gospel, when preached, requires a response. And I want you all to know you're all responding one way or another. And what I mean by that is you're either responding in, yes. Oh, that's a good news of great joy. I trust that message. Or, I don't believe that. That's hogwash. Or, indifference. And I want you to know, if you're indifferent to the message, you're over here with the hogwash. But if you have trusted in that message, you've responded in faith. Right? That's what it means. So how do the shepherds respond? Good question. Picking it up, verse 15, and then we're going to finish this baby out. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see the things that have happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Notice, they respond to the message. They go. And look, it says, and they went with haste. No delay. No delay. Angels come, message preached, they go. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, not baby Jesus, but the miracle, they made known to them, saying what had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and all that they had heard as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angels before he was conceived in the womb. <laughs> they respond with great joy. They go with haste. The first messengers are some shepherds, right? And they bring good news. The events of Bethlehem were meant, listen, they are meant to inspire praise. Worship, adoration, love, glory to God, to all who become aware of this good news of great joy. Why? Because at the heart, at the heart of the gospel of joy is the stunning reality that you and I are not the kind of people that deserve God's grace and forgiveness. We're not. We're not that people at all. In fact, it turns out that there are no people like that at all. 
All there are are broken, sinful people. But that in God's great love, His great mercy, God has sent salvation to His people. And His name is Jesus. People just like us. People who are broken. People who are sinful. Jesus comes. So, this Christmas Eve, listen, we can take comfort in the fact that into a sinful world, a Savior has come. And He has done it all. And, and we trust in Him. And therefore, you and I can have perfect peace. Did you know the name of, of Jesus means one who saves? He comes to save. Oh, we need salvation. And if you're in Christ, if you're trusting in Him, I want you to know you have it. If you receive this gift of grace, then I want you to know He's pleased with you. You have perfect peace. You, right now, this evening, have shalom with God. And that's the greatest news ever. Because that was our greatest problem. And He has solved it all in the personal work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Church, I love you. Man, it's so good to celebrate. It's so good to worship. It's so good to be reminded of the good news. Will you join me as I pray? And then we're going to sing a, a few more songs. And, uh, and then we will dismiss you with a prayer. And you can go and enjoy all the festivities. And hope you will go uh, in good cheer, knowing that Christ has done it all. And you can go just like the shepherds, full of cheer, full of knowing that you have good news of great joy, that you have peace with God, right? So I'm going to give my friends just a moment to come on up. You are getting quick, girl. Slow down. Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, so much for this evening. Lord, we thank you for this good news of great joy. And it is a great joy. It's a great joy to know you and to be known by you and to be loved. And to know that our greatest problems have been solved at the cross. And that we now have peace with God. Peace that will last forever. You are the one who has promised to give life and life abundantly. And life is found in Jesus Christ. I pray that you would overwhelm everyone in this room right now with a more deep understanding of your love. That we might be able to understand the unsearchable, immeasurable love of God that is displayed in the personal work of Christ. Uh, Lord, I pray that the meditations of our heart, the worship of our lips would match our hearts and it would be pleasing to you and that you would receive the honor and the glory that you so deserve. I pray you would bless this people with more of yourself. And I ask this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.